You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road in Hillsboro, North Carolina. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. Father, we are just grateful once again to be able to come into your presence, to come into your house, to worship together. Lord, we thank you for uh, what you have done for us. Lord, as we consider the cross, we, we consider the sacrifice that was made, but then as we even celebrate and think about the resurrection, Lord, and, and what you have done on our behalf, and, and we can in you be forgiven, to be set free, Lord, and that wonderful gospel, that good news that has changed our lives, we have the opportunity to share that with other people. Lord, it's our responsibility, not only... Uh, as we give, we recognize we have the opportunity to support those that you have called to, to maybe to go to another city or, or to start a new church or whatever that might look like to share the gospel all over not only our country but in North America. Lord, but we have a responsibility in this as well. It's not only our giving, but it's our own going, Lord, that we are to go across the street to share with our neighbors, to share with our coworkers. So, uh, help us, Lord, to see that this time of offering is not just where we support other people, but stir our hearts, Lord, to also go and to be ones who share the faith, the hope that's within us. So, Lord, uh, bless this offering. We pray that you will use it uh, just to spread the gospel. Lord, support, and we pray over those that this money will go to. Lord, we know that the support that they need is not only financial, but also prayer support. So continue to stir our hearts to, to pray for those. Lord, that are sharing the gospel all over our country. Father, we love you, and we just pray that you'll be honored in this time. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So as the video starts, the children can go ahead and come forward.
Let's stand and worship this morning.
Revelation chapter 5, it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and praise. And as we begin Holy Week this week, kind of leading up to um, Jesus' ultimate sacrifice and then eventually his resurrection, um, I just think it's important for us to remember with all of our hearts, with every breath in our lungs, with every bit of our life, to pour out our thanks and our praise to him because of what he's done for us.
so much for the sacrifice you made for us. Father, thank you that because of that, we have full forgiveness. Because of that, we can stand before you and worship and sing and pray and go to your word that we can have a relationship with you, Father. And God, while all of this is on our mind in this season especially, God, let it be on our minds and in our hearts always so that we can live with the power of your cross, so that we can live with the victory of your resurrection every day of our lives, in every season of our lives. God, continue to be honored and glorified through our worship today together as a church family. In Christ's name I pray, amen.
Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Sun is shining. That's a good thing, right? Some of you aren't too sure about that. Sun, sun is shining. That's a good thing, right? All right. Just check. I am ready for the sun to shine, but I'm also ready for a few more degrees um, to be added to that. Um, God is so good and so good to us, and um, I'm thankful for even being here. Um, I missed last week, and it was one of those weeks that um, I didn't plan on missing, um, but there were some other things that were more pressing, like a fever, that, that kind of kept me out of the mix. And so um, on the front end, I just want to say thank you for a couple of different things as we get going this morning, but, but in light of that... It, and I'll get to the thank yous in a second. Um, the song that the choir did, um, and when we remember, understand that when we celebrate Palm Sunday, it is, there was a, a vast difference between what happened on Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into town and what happened at the end of that week. It was almost as if somebody flipped a switch in that culture and said, Everything is good, and then this switch, and everything is bad. And we've got to put some things in perspective with regards to that, because although we may look at it and go, oh, that was awful. The end of the week was awful. Actually, the end of the week is a glorious thing for us, because if the end of the week doesn't happen, if the crucifixion doesn't happen, if what Jesus did, if, that, if what happened on the cross does not take place, then we're a sunk people. We are a people without hope. And so when, when we talk about remembering and looking back, we remember, and in one way, we are so sad because it's our sin that put Jesus on the cross, but we are so happy because the blood that was shed on that cross gets applied to us. And we get to celebrate. So we get to sing praises and worship him. It's the same thing that happened last week. Sing praises and worship him. Scott, I just want to thank you for doing Metamorphosis. Um, awesome. And, and I realized that he didn't pull it off by himself. He, he had a little bit of help. Um, there were people that served for host homes, um, YouthQuest was in from Liberty and did some teaching and, and led worship and then had a speaker on, on Friday and Saturday. And then he went home and Scott preached last week. And I'm just thankful that all that took place. And, and I'm glad, you know, of all the sick times, it was kind of good timing um, that that was taken care of and, and in the plan. Um, I'm just sad I missed it. So thank you for doing that and thank you for preaching last week. Um, I heard... You did a great job. That's what I heard. So they, they told me it was okay. It was good. So you did good. Um, the second part of that is I want to thank you that showed up yesterday. There was a really good crowd here yesterday. Um, I think there were about 30 pizzas. About 25 of them disappeared. Um, I don't know where the leftovers went, but there, there was a good crowd here, both at main campus and at north campus, working. And, and I know we went to, where's Ted? Salty Dog Blue on the outside doors up at North, right? 
So, so that happened, and some benches got stained, and some rooms got painted. Um, so that happened there, and there, there were some other things too. Some flower beds got done, and, and then there was work down here. And if, if you've ever walked down these steps on this side, and you ran your hand on the rail, um, it was a little bit dangerous because of some paint issues, and that was all taken care of yesterday. And so it's been sanded and painted, so it looks good. Down there at the entry looks good. Some signs were redone. And there was just a lot of work that took place in the preschool area and all around the building. And so um, I just want to say thank you for those of you that were here and those of you that may have wanted to be here and couldn't. Um, but I'm just grateful that we have a church congregation that, that kind of gathered around to, to work and make some things happen yesterday. And especially to Brad and for Ted and, and maybe, maybe others because I'm going to forget somebody. Um, those that kind of helped coordinate all the things that took place yesterday on both campuses. So um, including Faith Baptist that was, had a contingency here as well. So I just want to say thanks for that. And then for me, those, those of you that know, um, I came down with the flu on Wednesday the 14th. And, um, and so I taught Bible study here that Wednesday, and then I went home and Deb took my temperature. And she put me in the doctor's office first thing Thursday morning, and then I stayed in bed for a while. And so for those of you that have been praying that I'd get better, I'm getting there. Don't stop. We'll, we'll see. I'm, my voice is likely to crack this morning, kind of like that. Um, I would say it's normal, but yeah, just pray. So yeah, you could, you could pray like you always do. Pray the sermon will be short. Um, so, but this, that, thank you. Um, I, I really, I, I would say I love the flu. I want it to go away, um, but it, it's on its way. It's saying goodbye, but it's not gone yet. So, um, so it's good. So thank you for praying. Um, today, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about the privilege of being a Christ follower. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? And, and the idea that forgiveness brings us hope for eternity. Forgiveness brings us hope for eternity, and we're going to be in Mark 3. We're going to reference some other places, including Mark 11, which is the passage that we would read um, when we're talking about Palm Sunday and a triumphal entry. We're also going to talk about very quickly the, the problem or the issue of blasphemy or rejection of God, because in the Holy Week or from, from Palm Sunday to the crucifixion, you see both sides of that. You see an acceptance of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and this, this elevating of his person to, in that city as he rode in. But then you see on the other end of the week a, a severe rejection of him as the Christ. And so we're going to talk about blasphemy just a minute, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Knowing that when we come to the Lord's Supper as a family, we are remembering what Jesus did for us. That his body was broken and it, he, he shed his blood intentionally for us. So we'll look at that as well. So would you turn to Mark chapter 3? And this is what it says. Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 13. It says, And he went up on a mountain and called to him those who he desired and they came to him. So Jesus had been in a crowd, pulled away from the crowd, went up on a mountain, and then he called some guys to come to him. 
And he appointed 12 whom he named apostles or sent one so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12. Then we have the list. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee. And John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boergenes, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. We'll stop there, verse 19. Let's just stop there for a second and look at this, the privilege of being a Christ follower. Jesus called these guys, these 12 guys to him for what purpose? There's three things listed in this passage. The first thing is that he called these 12 to be with him just to be with him, to be disciples, to be that, that group of guys that he would take and invest in that he would call aside and share with them things that he wouldn't share with the general crowd. So he had these 12 guys that he called to be with him. And I want to ask you a question, because what Jesus is expecting out of these 12 is that they would grow in their relationship with him as they spent time with him. So for us, what does it mean to grow in Christ? Are you to the place where you are growing in Christ? Would you, if you were to put it on a scale of one to 10, would you say that I am further along on that scale now than I was a year ago? Because you can't stay still. There are a lot of us that would love to just stay where we're at. We go, oh, this is great. But, but scripture tells us that, that our life in Christ is about change. That something ought to be different. And if we are following Christ in a close order as a disciple of his, then we ought to become, be becoming more like Jesus every single day. And so you may go, oh, I don't notice the difference from yesterday to today. But if you were to look at it and say, what is the difference between last year and this year? Or five years ago and now? What does it look like? Is my life more like Christ? And if not, then you have to step back and say, okay, what do I need to do in spending more time with Christ? Do I need to spend more time in his word? Do I need to pray more? Do I need to get involved in, a, in something service-oriented related to the church? Do I need to find a place to serve? What will help me to grow in my relationship with Christ and to be more like Jesus than I was last year? So would you say you're moving forward or backward in your aliveness of time with God? This is what it says in 1 Peter 2.2. 2, and I, it's really interesting because I, I listen from my office what happens in Bobby Riley's class. And, and I'm thinking, dude, you read my notes. Um, because it seems like on a regular basis, he's quoting stuff that I've already got written down. And I didn't pass it on to him. 1 Peter 2.2 2 says this, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. The idea is that we would so long for Christ, so long to be in his presence, so long to grow up in him, that we would desire that like a newborn babe desires food. And if we don't desire it like that, then the question is, why not? Why don't we have a hunger for Christ? 
Why don't we have a hunger for what he wants and what his word says? So how are you doing in your walk with him? So when Jesus calls these guys, he says, I call them that they might be, so that they might be with him. The second part, that he might send them out to preach. So the second part of this is to be sent out by him. So not just discipleship or growing and being with him, but sent out in missions. You were made to go and make disciples. Matthew 28, 19, there's no argument about what that says, that our job is to go and make disciples. It's our job. It's our responsibility to share Christ and help them to grow. And the way that works is you have a relationship with Christ. You're following Christ. And because you're following so close, you may want to share that relationship with somebody else and you help them to understand what it is to begin a relationship with Christ, but then you walk alongside them. Don't just abandon them, but walk alongside them as they crave that pure spiritual milk. You're helping them to grow and find out how to get plugged into that relationship with Christ even more. So not just go and share, but go share and walk alongside to make disciples. The third part of this and it's really an interesting phrase when, when you look at it because the, the third part of this, you go, well, that doesn't seem to fit. But he says that they might, he might send them out and have authority to cast out demons. So how does that fit into this passage? Because if I told you this morning, hey, you need to spend time with Jesus and you need to go out in missions and share Christ with those around you, and, you, and while you're going out, you need to cast out demons. It'd get you some looks down at Duke or UNC, wouldn't it? I come in here and I'm casting you out. You know, it'd be, it'd be an interesting day at work. You start doing that kind of stuff. But I think the, the, the idea behind this is, is not, not so much that this was a single thing. I think it was the idea that Jesus was letting these guys know that if you're going to follow me and you're going to go out and preach, that there is a spiritual battle that takes place. And this may be the height of the, of the attack that will come on your life. Because these guys are going to go on to, to heal and to do all kinds of things in Jesus' name. But this idea of casting out demons is a direct spiritual battle between light and darkness. Direct spiritual battle between God and Satan. I think it's one of the reasons that Paul writes in, in Ephesians 6 about spiritual warfare and to put on the whole armor of God. I think Jesus understood that our biggest battles are spiritual battles, not physical battles. You go, I don't know about that. We face physical battles. I get that. Disease of all kinds. Sicknesses, that goes without saying. And we've got, we have financial difficulties or problems in relationships. But when you break it down, the biggest battle that you ever have is a spiritual battle, much of which you don't see. But the spiritual battle is much greater than the physical battle. See, depression, rejection, addictions, jealousy, bitterness, controlling the tongue, gluttony, all those things have a spiritual element to them. And we don't need to neglect the spiritual part of that just because we're wrapped up in what we see physically. 
Paul wrote this, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is that Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 passage. Put on the whole armor of God. Don't put on a piece of it. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And we gotta understand something. The devil wants to destroy us. The devil wants to destroy your relationship with God and anything he can possibly do to push you away from God or draw you away from God, he will do. And it doesn't matter if you're a casualty. The devil wants to destroy you. And then Paul writes, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And then he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. So we understand where our battle is. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then Paul writes this, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. We live in a day where truth is up for grabs, isn't it? Or at least seems to be. I watch TV a little, probably a little too much. And I look at the things on there and I go, they're they are telling us this is true, but it is not. So we live in a day where truth is questioned. Paul says, stand therefore fastened with the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that frontal piece, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. That sounds like an attack. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit and all, with all prayer and supplication. And then he concludes with this. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And so our responsibility is not just to put on the armor of God and to be ready for battle, but part of our responsibility is praying that, that each one of us puts on our armor. So it becomes a, I'm praying for you that you would put on the armor of God so when the devil attacks you, you are spared. You have what it takes or you have the resources for fighting off the schemes of Satan. So Paul says, keep on the alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so Paul assumes that when we put on the armor of God that Satan is going to fight us. But our job is to pray for ourselves and pray for others that as we put on the armor of God and as we share, that we will go boldly with the gospel of Christ to a world that is in darkness. Paul doesn't take that out of the equation. Paul doesn't say, put on the armor of God so you can sit in a pew on Sunday morning. Although there is spiritual battle that takes place in this room. Paul says, put on the armor of God that you may boldly proclaim the gospel. We do that when we sing stuff like like the song the choir sang, and when we sing the other pieces of our worship, we are proclaiming the gospel, even to those around us this morning. 
We do have a responsibility. Ephesians 3.10 says this, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Catch that. Do you hear what it said? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to who? The rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Isn't that where the battle is? The idea is that when we put on the armor of God and we make known the gospel, there is a raging war that takes place and us proclaiming under the authority of Christ that we belong to him and we're proclaiming him means that those that are against us understand whose power we go in. We go in the power of Christ. And what Jesus was telling these, these 12 that he called to himself, spend time with me, be sent by me, and understand that you are in the middle of a spiritual battle as you go. Don't be lulled asleep into thinking that Satan is not after you. <coughs> Excuse me. I should have warned you, John. If we are a threat to Satan's kingdom because we proclaim the name of Christ, then he will be after us. Jesus called the 12 <clears throat> to follow him with an allegiance that would cost them. The allegiance is never questioned on the front end of Palm Sunday. The allegiance to Christ doesn't have a lot of threat to it until the end of the week. The Lord's Supper will be our reminder of this battle. Jesus used the imagery of brokenness and when he breaks the bread and the, the cup to show the sacrifice. The second part of this passage is in Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 20. And we're going to fly through this very quickly. It says, then he went home. And this is Jesus. He went home. So he goes home again and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. So there was no peace. So Jesus showed up, crowd gathers, there's not even time to sit down and have a meal. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And that's comforting, isn't it? So Jesus comes back home, crowd gathers, and the people that come after him are his own family. And some translations say, his people. But it really just means his family. So his family thinks he's insane. He's crazy. I'll tell you that when you follow Christ, there, there might be times in your own family where they will look at you and go, they're nuts. They're absolutely crazy. Because they're following Christ. So they get there and he says, he's out of his mind. But then it goes a little bit further. He says, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem or that place where the holiness or presence of God was represented. So the way it's written here, it's kind of like, hey, they came down from on high to bring this truth, and, but they came down and they challenged Jesus. It says he was possessed. The scribes came down from Jerusalem and they were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. What he's saying is, or what they're saying is, everything that Jesus does it's not really of God. Everything that Jesus does is really of Satan. Man, 
That's a dangerous spot to be. We have to be very careful when we read this not to be in the same place as the scribes in looking around at what God does in our world and around us with regards to miracles and things that happen that just don't seem normal to us. We live in a Western culture that has normalized Christianity so much that if we see something very unusual, we don't really push it to God. We just say that's, a, that's an anomaly. That's just not, that may not be real. There are people all over the world getting healed, miraculously healed, where demons are being cast out. The same things, and we heard about it at the East Coast Men's Bible Conference, the same things that we read about in Scripture are taking place around the world in places where the gospel is fresh. We've kind of made, we kind of made the gospel tame. We've made it very normal for us. And yet the gospel is so great and the word of Christ is so good and God is so big that he continues to do things that amaze people so that they will see, they will see him. The scribes ascribe this work of Jesus to Satan. And Jesus answers, and I don't know how he could answer so calmly, but he does because he's Jesus. And he says, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But it's coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, Satan seems to have rule here. He has authority here. And if I were of Satan, I would not be doing the things that would destroy Satan's kingdom. But I am not of Satan. What Jesus is saying is this division that can take place, or, or what they were saying is that Satan was divided against himself. But Jesus says it can't happen. There are two different sides here. Jesus used three, three illustrations to show how this accusation does not hold water. Satan against himself, a kingdom against itself, and a house divided. See, Satan will do nothing that works to his own detriment. He's willing to deceive and destroy. Not just you, but he wants to destroy God. The good thing for us is we get to read the end of the book, right? That Satan is destroyed. But we see evidence of Satan alive and well all around us. And so we know the spiritual battle exists. And then in the last part of this, verse 28, it says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. Let's just stop there. They're blasphemies that are not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It says, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he is, a, he is of an unclean spirit. A lot of people get confused about this. I, I, you know, I grew up Catholic. 
We talk about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and, and, and what sort of what that means, but it's essentially, it is a rejection of God's offer of forgiveness. It's saying, I can do this on my own. It's ascribing to Satan what is actually of God. And we read this, says the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. It's the idea that my heart is so hard that I refuse God. The availability of salvation is open to everyone. But there comes a point in people's lives where they push God off so far that, that they don't accept Christ and will never accept Christ. And we say everything this side of eternity is fair game for, for somebody coming to know Christ. And I agree with that. But I think there are some have said, I'm never going to. And they're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I read some, some stuff. This, this week has been marked by the death of a famous scientist, Stephen Hawking. And I, I read some quotes, and I just want you to listen to these and listen to them very carefully. He said this about his mission in life, which is almost ironic. He says, my goal is simple. It is, to, it is a complete understanding of the universe. Why it is as it is, and why it exists at all. What did he miss? When you study the universe, you ought to be able to see God. Second thing he said with regard to knowledge, the greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance, it is the illusion of knowledge. And then he wrote about afterlife, there is no heaven or afterlife, and he he relates it to computers. He says, there is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. And then they, he was asked about God. He said, there is no God. I'm an atheist. And I think here's somebody who has studied the wonders of our universe and looked around and seen all that has been created in great detail, he seems to have an understanding of a lot of different things. Yet, on this one thing called God, this one thing that means more than anything else in the world, he doesn't see it. It's, he's blinded. Satan had so blinded him that he pushed God away. Psalm 14.1 says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. It's very simple. And God has given us the call just as he did the 12. He's given to us the call to come alongside him, to be sent by him, to engage in spiritual warfare under the authority of Christ. Jesus said, all authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. And when we fall under the authority of Christ, we go in power. The truth that we need to catch this morning is that eternity is not temporary. There is no hope apart from Christ. And the only chance we have for a relationship with God is forgiveness. It's forgiveness that brings hope for eternity. In Mark 11, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, just one week prior to his crucifixion, it was this dichotomy of acceptance versus rejection, of receiving versus pushing away. We're caught in the middle. 
We get to decide. And there's some in here in this room that have decided that they're going to follow Jesus with all that they are and they're going to be a disciple of Christ and their eternity is secure because they've entrusted their life to Christ. But there may be some in this room that have never done that. There may be some in this room that are still fighting that going, I'm not sure that I want to give my life to Christ. And you're pushing it off. There may be some in this room that have said, I've pushed away God so much, I'm not sure he's even asking me to come to him anymore. And I want to tell you, if you have that question, he's asking. If you go, I'm scared about the possibility of me rejecting God. If you're scared about that, he's asking. He's still inviting. So that door is still open. But like with Stephen Hawking and anybody else that we would look around and say, your days are numbered because all of our days are numbered, that if, if to die this week, would we be secure enough and understand our relationship with God enough to say we're sure that we would go to heaven because of our relationship with Christ? So we will face judgment. We will face God. The question will come down to relationship. And I know how I'm going to answer. It's not because of what I did or didn't do. It's not because I was a decent guy. It wasn't because I stood up here on a Sunday morning or any of that kind of stuff. It wasn't even because I was a halfway decent husband and a halfway decent dad. That's not going to mean much. What it will come down to is what is my relationship with Jesus Christ and have I given him my life and trusted him for my salvation? And when I stand before God, I'm gonna say along with a lot of others, we're just gonna point to Jesus and say, it's because of him. And so I wanna ask you this morning, that if you've never accepted Christ, this morning would be a great day for you to come and it means coming down front, I understand that. And that's a scary prospect. It's not too scary. It's not that far. But I want to invite you to come forward and say, I want a relationship with Christ. If God's calling you to that, if he's asking, if you feel that nudge inside to come to him, then I would say, give in. Listen to that voice and come forward and say, how can I have a relationship with God? There'll be, there'll be people around that can help you and walk you through that. So I invite you, if you don't have a relationship with him, to do that when we stand in just a moment. There are others of us in this room that whether it's a spiritual battle or a physical battle, we're fighting. We may be fighting for our lives in diff on different fronts. And I want to invite you to come forward and maybe just spend some time at the altar. Say, God, help me to be a better follower. Help me to be more mouthy, more bold in my witness for you. Help me to be stronger and, and help me to put on that armor of God and to fight off Satan's attacks better than I did last week. So I invite you to come and just spend time at the altar. So let's pray. And when we're done with our invitation, as folks respond, when we're done with that, we'll join together and we'll have the meal, have the Lord's Supper together as a church family. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you this morning for your invitation to come, to spend time with you, to be sent by you, even to be aware of the spiritual battles around us. And Father, I pray that as as we go through this time, that if you are speaking, that our ears would be more attentive to you than they are anything else in the room. That our heart would be soft and attentive to you as well. Father, and as you call us to obedience, that, that we would move. God, I thank you that you are a God that calls us to yourself and wants to love on us and has provided salvation for us. And so, Father, by your grace, ask that you would move during this invitation time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.